Welcome to this episode of TBR, a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. TBR stands for To Be Read, that pile of books sitting on your nightstand, bookshelf, or table just waiting to be read. This is the podcast for people who embody the phrase, so many books, so little time, and for those who want to ignite a love for reading. Every month we'll be highlighting a few of the new items coming to the EVPL collection, from books to movies to our library of things. So today, Claire is joining me. Claire is the branch manager at the McCullough location over behind Washington Square Mall. Thanks for joining me today, Claire. Happy to be here. So talk a little bit about McCullough and what you've been doing there. Oh, we've been having a lot of fun preparing for programs um, in October, November, doing a lot of stuff, getting ready for Halloween and things like that. Oh, yeah. Tis yeah, the season. Absolutely. Yes, so. I wore my witchy skirt to work yesterday just yes. because, you know, it's only October that I can wear it. So I'm mm-hmm. going to make the most of this month. <laughs> absolutely. Spooky season is all about expressing yourself, especially the witchy, those of us who love yep. the witchy and the, the nice vibe. Yeah. It's so much material to pick from there. So absolutely. much fun. As a matter of fact, one thing I noticed as I was going through the titles that we're going to talk about today is you can definitely tell that they like to release seasonally appropriate books for this season. And so even though my intention at first was to kind of have a a spread of genres, almost all of the really great sounding ones definitely fit in with October and Halloween. Oh, for sure. There's so many good spooky reads, thrillers, things like that. It's just, and, and there, I'm sure there are lots of good books coming out in every type of genre. And right, um, there's something about embracing the season you're in that oh, I really sure. enjoy. So, so why don't you go first? What book caught your interest when you were looking over the new things coming into the system? Yeah, so I'm really excited about a lot of titles, but one that I'm really super excited about is The Passenger by Cormac McCarthy. It's the first book that he's written in almost 16 years since he wrote his Pulitzer Prize winning The Road. Oh. Um, So, yeah. See, I recognize the author name, but I wasn't connecting it, but I do know The Road. Yeah, so The Road is this dystopian post-apocalyptic novel and so he's kind of not in that same vein but definitely writing from a place of horror slash mystery slash thriller is what I would think uh, you would probably find in The Passenger. It's about it takes place in the 1980s in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. There's a guy named Bobby Western. He dives into the ocean to investigate this crashed ocean liner and as he's exploring this crash site he's haunted by these officials from the ocean liner and the ghost of his father. Oh my goodness. And that was his father on the ocean liner? I, I don't know. I guess they don't want to give too They're much away. They're piecing out that information. Yes. I see. I see. And I think there's a relationship, this really deep relationship that he had with his sister. And so he's visited by, I don't know if it's the ghost of her or what, but it seems kind of spooky. I like that it's um, kind of like an ocean setting. You don't see that as much with horrors and thrillers. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be interesting. And I mean, The Road, which he wrote again 16 years ago, was such a hit. And then they made a film about it. So I imagine a book that's been in the, the works this long. Right. We right. can hope that it's just I mean, as good. Yes, exactly. Yes. And and remembering The Road, 
even though dystopian and spooky, they're not mutually exclusive, but they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Right. But the road definitely had that spooky vibe yes. while it was going on. So I could definitely see him running with that same feeling. Yeah. So one of the books that I've picked out is called The Second Death of Edie and Violet Bond by Amanda Glaze. And as I was reading the information on it, it sounds like spiritualism meets whodunit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so in the early 1800s, I want to say maybe it was more closer to mid 1800s and also early 1900s, spiritualism was very popular. The famous historical case that I always think of is how Mary Lincoln became very involved with spiritualism, especially after the death of her son. And uh, so this was kind of an ongoing thing in both American and British culture. This book is set in Britain. And what we have is 17-year-old twins, Edie and Violet, and their mother has died And they are very, very powerful mediums. They're not the ones that are just trying to spoof you or spam you. Spam is such a modern word, but con you is probably more accurate. But their father, after their mother dies, is threatening to send them to a really notorious insane asylum. Because people who, of course, have those powers get cast in. You know, something's wrong with your head. Right. (laughs) And so they run away and they join a traveling spiritualist roadshow. So they're under the guise of being just the carnival fake spiritualist. They're masking their actual abilities so they can kind of move without it and yet give it almost that falseness that keeps them safe. Right. And people just are able to dismiss it. But they are actually able to kind of, um, this is not the word in the blur, but the way a lot of people put reach beyond the veil. Oh, wow. And yeah. so at one point, things really go awry as they're on the other side. There's this malevolent spirit and they discover that it's the being that caused their mother's death. And so that's where the whodunit comes in because they're using these powers that they have to find out what really happened to their mom. Love that. I like the whole traveling carnival vibe, but actually that legitimate powers that they have. And being a mystery lover, I love the whodunit vibe as well. So I'm definitely interested in picking this one up. I love that they're sisters too. I bet there's an element of sisterhood in that, especially Mm -hmm. when they're both have, you know, these abilities that are definitely frowned upon. Right, exactly. It's a, even if you weren't inclined to have that connection as twins, it's almost like we're both in the same foxhole because we're both under the same side eye glance of all the people around us deepens the bond that they probably have. So I love that. That's now on my to be read. (laughs) This is the danger of this podcast, because (laughs) as I have these conversations, I'm like, oh, I didn't have enough on my list already. (laughs) I know. What's up next for you? So I am very excited about a book called Little Eve by Catriona Ward. Okay. She wrote The Last House on Needless Street, which was very popular, and more recently a book called Sundial. She writes a lot of psychological horror. Mm -hmm. That's primarily Mm -hmm. where she focuses. So it's definitely very heady and just horror that makes you really think deep, you Mm -hmm. know. and It kind of messes with your head. Yeah, it can be very unsettling, her, her stories, which is what I like, actually. But basically, this story is... It takes place in Scotland on the coast. I love that kind of a setting. So you got me right there. And there's this clan that is preparing for 
basically to bring about the end of the world and rebirth. Okay, from that. so they're doing some sort of ritual. Ritual. That was yes. the word I was reaching for. Yes. Okay. So it. They basically believe that there's this entity called the Adder that is going to come and one of their number will inherit its powers and will bring about the end of the world and then a rebirth. Um, But basically, there's definitely a whodunit and a murder mystery in it. Okay. A detective shows up on the coast there and is basically trying to figure out and investigate this brutal murder that took place. Okay. And there is a young girl who very much wants to inherit the powers of the Adder and this detective is getting in the way and mm-hmm. um, it just seems the setting is what really drew me to this book as um, soon as you gave me the setting i thought oh that sounds yes. like a good one yeah so i think when this detective shows up something goes wrong with their ceremony mm-hmm. uh, this ritual that's supposed to take place and soon all of these secrets start coming out about this clan and about what this entity is and what it is they're really trying to do. There's a lot of mystery surrounding, honestly, the plot. I really don't know where it's going to go, but I'm very excited to read it. Yeah, it sounds really, really good. I'm a a lover of gothic fiction, and anything set in a castle in the Scottish Highlands automatically takes me there. Oh, yeah. So... What about you? So next up, and this is actually the continuation of a series. There's a series called The Kingmaker Chronicles by Amanda Bochet. I hope I pronounced it right, but it looks very French. So that's what I went with. This is not a series I've read, but it's definitely piqued my interest. It sounds very much like the Rick Riordan Greek Gods series, only those are more the juvenile young adult books, and these are for adults, but it's the same uh, mythical world of the gods and the goddesses and Mount Olympus and all of that. And so for those who have read this series, this is book four. It's called Curse of Queens. So this queen has been put in place. There's a main character in the early part of the series that's what they call a kingmaker, hence the Kingmaker Chronicles. And she just has a way of identifying truth. She kind of like that earlier book I mentioned was kind of trying to hide her abilities because she could so be taken advantage of because of this ability she has. But this kingdom has been established, but now the queen has been put under a curse. And the character that is going to take lead in this particular book is Jocasta. And she joins with the captain of the guard, Flynn of Sinta. Because their goal is they want to lift the curse, of course, from the queen. That is the whole road for this storyline. But to do that, they have to go to Circe's Garden, which is a hidden island. They can find what cure will lift the queen's curse. And so as someone who really enjoys legendary retellings, this has definitely got my intentions. One of the things that's a lot of fun about the Greek gods And also some of the others is how very much of human nature they share with us. They get mad, they get sad, they seek revenge. You know, there's not a lot of even keeledness about the Greek God. They're very relatable when you think about it like that, but it adds that air of magical and mysticism and stuff like that. So I would, of course, have to go back and start with book one. But given that a chance, I could see myself reading through the rest of the series as well. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a good binge read. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the danger zone. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. That sounds great. 
In that same vein, actually, another one that I'm very excited about is Volume 3 of Lore Olympus. Okay. Which is a graphic novel that's being released. So this is Volume 3, and it actually started out as a webcomic, mm-hmm. and now they are gathering all of those and actually putting them to They're print. They're going to do a print yeah, edition. So they have the first two volumes out, which we do have at the library, which oh, is nice. awesome. But it's a contemporary retelling of the love story between Hades and Persephone. Oh. Yes. This series is full of... Of scandalous gossip, wild parties, forbidden love, all those things. So much more, really. The artwork is lavish and beautiful. The color schemes are amazing. And the characters are really well thought out. And you really see them grow throughout the series. Now, that's what I really like. I love seeing character development. Yes. If you've got a a long book or an ongoing series, I like seeing those shifts and growths and changes and imperfections and all of those things. That's what makes a real readable story. Yeah. And Rachel Smith, who's the author and illustrator for this. Oh, um, she does both. She does both, yes. So she really does a good job of that. You see how flawed these characters are, these gods and goddesses mm-hmm. and the lesser gods. And it touches on all those. If you're into Greek mythology, it touches on so many of the just different gods and entities that are part of the Greek mythology. It also tackles some pretty tough subjects at times, too, mm-hmm, which is, mm-hmm. you know, and she does it beautifully. So... Um, it's definitely, you start with volume one, and then I think, yeah, volume three releases in October, and they're just going to keep doing that with each volume. So Okay. So you mentioned that this is a graphic novel. Yes. Now, that is your jam. That is my jam. Do you want to talk a little bit about your love of graphic novels, oh, maybe some of your favorites? Yeah. I mean, so graphic novels are probably, aside from horror and thrillers, graphic novels are what I gravitate towards. I love art. And I love narrative art, so mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. to see a story take place with, with those graphics. Um, I'm trying to think of my favorites. It's hard to pick a favorite it when is. you really love a genre. There is one called Something is Killing the Children, which mm. is a horror series. It is one of my favorite series that has come out in recent years. The artwork is very uh, engaging and stimulating and, and dark at the same time. follows this young woman who basically goes town to town fighting these monsters that are created from children's nightmares. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's it's a great story. It is a bit graphic at times. Okay. So, warning there. But it's just so riveting and scary at times. And it really, it's one of my favorites. I have so many favorites, though. <laughs> Lore Olympus actually is one of my very favorites. A lot of the ones that I read, you can find on Hoopla. Okay. Um, That's how I've found a lot of my newer series that I read. They do a good job of posting new comics and things like that. So the one I would check out is Something is Killing the Children, if you want to start somewhere. I remember coming to you when I was wanting to pick some good graphic novels for my grandsons and going, give me some good recommendations and stuff like that. And so that's one of the things I enjoy most about hosting this on TBR various episodes is that I get to hear about everybody's favorite genres. Some are similar to mine and some are very different than mine. But my favorite things are the people who love things that I don't really know much about. Because then I have those go to people to go, okay. I want to get into this. What should I start with? You know? Absolutely. All right. So the next book, and this is a nonfiction. It's kind of like a historical slash true crime. And this one is called All That Is Wicked. It's by Kate Winkler Dawson. And it is the true crime story of 
Edward Roloff, sometimes called the Victorian Hannibal Lecter. He was brilliant, but completely amoral. And he was, of course, a serial killer. Before that was the term, serial killer was a phrase that did not come in until much later. But by 1871, he had already been found out and confined to a jail cell. And the conflict for many people, because, of course, in that time period, people were very quickly executed, especially for anything related to murder or even lesser crimes. But he was called too intelligent to be killed. And so there was this conflict because he was brilliant, he was intelligent, and he was an awful, awful human being. And so this led to many of the budding sciences of the time beginning to study him to figure out what made a man like him tick. Most people cannot relate to someone who has no empathy whatsoever. Talk about psychopaths who just don't feel the feelings that most people feel. And they wouldn't have had that sort of terminology back then. But that curiousness, that fascination, that how can someone not feel this way began to really take root. And so they had what we would now call a criminal psychologist. They were calling the alienist at the time and they would come in and interview and talk and question. And then they had the phrenologist coming in. Now, phrenologists, for those who don't know, phrenology was a science, quote unquote, back in the day where they believed that the shape and structure of a person's skull would indicate what kind of person they were, what kind of personality they had. So a bump right above this area meant one thing, a bump in another area. And so you would see they'd have these even like little parlor, you know, salons where people would come in and the phrenologist would and and feel their head (laughs) and kind of map out where's the bumps and stuff. And then they would go, oh, you're a person of this or that. And they would describe your personality based on the bumps or shape of your skull. And so... Even though that, of course, is a discredited science today, it was somewhat believed at the time. And so these were the kind of people that were coming to his cell and feeling the bumps on his head going, what is making this man who is so intelligent and so capable have no compunction whatever about violence and and murder? Wow. And so I kind of spaced out my true crime reads because Mm -hmm. too much dark is too much dark. (laughs) But at the same time, I do find that exploration fascinating. It's a little bit of the best of the both worlds. It's exploring that mindset, but also exploring the way people in history looked at the same kind of questions we have. Some of the approaches are similar. The alienist, the criminal psychologist, some are very different. The phrenologist who we would not even take seriously today. And it's just kind of fascinating how humans sit back and look at each other going, what makes you like you are? Oh, yes. So I I think that's going to be a good read. That again was All That Is Wicked by Kate Winkler Dawson. Yeah, I love that it's nonfiction and that this is a person who actually existed. Um, I watched a show called The Alienist that focused on that time period. Right, right. And Um, that's actually a book I want to read. I've seen it on the shelf. And it is historical fiction, mm -hmm. but it is based on that sort of exploration. Exactly. Yeah, it's an interesting time in history, for sure. As a matter of fact, I would have to look at that book again, but I think... Theodore Roosevelt was one of the early ones that the first alienist worked under. Oh. I need to go back and look that up. It definitely caught my attention yeah. because he was a character in that book, I know for sure. And I think because he was a man who explored widely mm-hmm. 
and was interested in a lot of things that I could see him jumping into that and saying, what's going on here, you know? So now the last book that I was going to bring up is a book you've already read. We Mm -hmm. both kind of put it on our list. And so I'm going to come at it from a, this sounds really good, without giving too much away, you're going to give me your two cents on this book as well. And that is called Malice House by Megan Shepard. And so based on the information, as I was looking this book up, a woman has, her father has recently died. And in that vibe of the gothic fiction, she's going out to his remote seaside house to begin going through his things and clearing up. And she comes across a handwritten manuscript called Bedtime Stories for Monsters. Mm -hmm. And she does not know what to make of this. But she's also thinking, well, you know what? I'm an illustrator and maybe this can be kind of a win-win. I'm going to do an homage collaboration with my late father Mm -hmm. using his manuscript and I'm going to illustrate it and maybe make a little money while I'm at it. But from what I'm reading and the information that was given, there's this very strange cast of characters from the neighbors and the town nearby that keep kind of running through the storyline. And so this is where I'm going to pitch it over to you because this is just what the blurb on the website <laughs> told me. Yeah. But you've actually read it. Yes. Yeah, and I loved it, actually. It is very much a haunted house story okay. with spooky creatures and monsters, untrustworthy townsfolk, <laughs> and family secrets. Pretty much everything that you just said in that blurb. So this is a definitely would recommend. Definitely would recommend, especially for the season. And honestly, because I I thought about this novel a lot after I read it, and it's a weird blend of misery and the haunting of Hill House. So if you like those stories at all, this is for you. But it's also got this, I can't say too much without giving (laughs) too much away. (laughs) That is Um, the hard thing. But yeah, the the connection between her and her father um, is explored very deeply in this novel and her connection with the work that he created and this work that was so different, this bedtime stories for bedtime stories for monsters. Yes. Yeah, it was so different from everything he had ever written before. Mm. So this was when she found this, she's like, I don't think my dad wrote this. Uh, You know, this is completely different from anything he's ever written. And yet it, it really spoke to her. And yes, she does use her skills as an artist to bring these things to life, so to speak. I can see your restraint and trying not to say Um, too much. And there are just, there's just so many interesting characters in this novel and interesting happenings, but it's very spooky, honestly. It was a novel that I read in one sitting, actually. Wow. So it was very riveting. But I also had to sleep with a light on in my bedroom. Wow. So, and for someone who generally likes spooky yeah. stuff, that's uh, significant. And I don't know why. I, I mean, well, I do know why, but I can't tell you why. So <laughs> it's perfect for the season. Might be a daytime read for me. We'll yeah. See. <laughs> just part. I mean, it's not all It's not all just terrifying, but Megan Shepard did a great job of creating a story that really kind of lives in your brain for a while. Those are the best stories. So what are you reading right now? So actually, I think I had talked to you about this before, but I'm I'm still in the midst of this novel called Such Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison. I did have an advanced reader's copy, so it does come out soon, though. But I am literally at the very end of this novel, so that is what I am reading now. 
Would you like to hear about it? Yes, please. It is about a woman named Rory who returns to her very rural hometown, similar Mm -hmm. to ours, honestly, or, or, you know, places around Evansville. Mm -hmm. She comes home to take care of her pregnant twin sister. And on her way home after a night out, Rory hits a large animal with her car. Okay. She gets out to investigate and realizes that this animal isn't just a large animal. It is this monstrous creature. She doesn't quite know what it is because it's dark, but she's attacked and wakes up in the hospital, seemingly stitched up and survived. You know, so she thinks, okay, I'm going to heal from this. Sure. And yet... And yet. And yet things start (laughs) happening. She starts noticing strange changes to her body. Um, She has an aversion to silver. She has inhuman strength, insatiable taste for meat. Oh, boy. Uh, So much more. You know, as someone trying to diagnose this, I'm starting to pick up an element. Just based on what I said, which you learn all this at the very beginning, or if you just read the blurb, you would read all this. Okay. And yet it it is a story that I'm very deeply invested invested (laughs) in because it's a story about transformation and change, not just in her body, but her mind Mm. and in the relationships that she has with the people around her. Accepting yourself despite your flaws. <laughs> this would really test that ability, I'm thinking. Yes, I think so. And it touches on unresolved pain and trauma, especially that some people experience with family. So it has these deep family or familial bonds that Rachel Harrison really explores pretty deeply mm. between her sister, between her mother. It's just a great novel all around. And it's a little spooky. So... Perfect for the season yet again. And I am right at the end. So I'm very excited to see what happens. So finishing tonight? Yes. Definitely finishing tonight. (laughs) I am in the middle of two books because that's how I tend to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, one is... The Blackbird House. It's by Alice Hoffman. For those who aren't familiar, she wrote the Practical Magic series. And so I love her writing. She's got a very uh, fable way of writing stories. Now, I haven't read actually Practical Magic Love the movie, but I haven't read it. It's actually something on my shelf that I do want to read. But um, some of her other writings that I have read, I've noticed there's this that element of folklore fable to it, even if it's more of a narrative. And so this is kind of the story of a house and the people and generations who pass through its doors and the, the tragedies and the triumphs and the different things that happen to the people that go through there. And all of them have that very strange element. The cover on the book mm-hmm. has a woman with red boots. And of course, this starts back in, I want to say, late 17, early 1800s. So for people of the time, red boots, witches kind of went hand in hand. So there's a little bit of that feeling there. There's some elements of people with abilities that perhaps they shouldn't naturally have. And I have only just gotten partially into it, but I'm really enjoying seeing the side-by-side lives of the person who, the family, I should say, who lived there, who built the house, and the next people who were there, and then the next people who were there. And so I'm looking forward to getting it finished, which I really need to because it is our book club discussion for this coming month of the book discussion. One more chapter book club at McCullough is going to be held October 12th at six o'clock in the meeting room. And we will be discussing the Blackbird House by Alice Hoffman. And then because, again, this is how I do. The other book I'm partially into is Murder at Malowan Hall by Colleen Cambridge. 
And because I like literary connections and a lot of the books I read, this is a murder mystery at the house of Agatha Christie. Now, Agatha Christie's first marriage ended in divorce, but then she remarried Max Mallowan. And this is true. In her real life, after she divorced uh, Mr. Christie, she married Max Mallowan. And so this is a murder mystery that happens in their house. And you can see them throwing in elements of some of Agatha Christie's stories in it. The head housekeeper is the one who's really taking point of trying to figure out what really happened. She's the one that discovers the body. Give just enough information. She goes into the library one morning when there's a house party at the house. Everybody's in bed at this point because it's early morning. And she discovers a body laying on the rug in the library, which if you've read Agatha Christie, there is a book called The Body in the Library, you know. (laughs) And so elements of that are sprinkled in there. And she is kind of the one taking point behind the scenes. She's not official As is typical, the police investigators are not liking her interference, but she's the one with the head on her shoulders that's picking up those little bits and clues that other people are just not quite connecting. And I like the interaction with Agatha Christie because as head housekeeper, they've actually developed a personal relationship as well as Uh employer-employee. And so that weaves into the story as well. And so it's really quite enjoyable. I like a lot of these type of books, but I vacillate between the darker, grimmer stuff Mm -hmm. and stuff that's a little lighter hearted. And this one feels like the second. It's still a proper mystery, but not quite, I've got to turn on all the lights kind of book. And so that's relaxing and enjoyable. I like like the head rush of a really terrifying book once in a while but I also like to mellow that out just a little once in a while so that's really enjoyable right now and I've of course got this unending list of books in my head and on my table and on my hold list of (laughs) what's coming next same Mm -hmm. so what is next for you do you think oh goodness probably another haunted house story honestly well it's that time of year yeah there's one called Gallows Hill coming out soon. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's Darcy Coates is the author. Okay. So I have next, and again, this is in keeping with the season, but also the fact it's the next book club discussion, which will land in November. It's called The Woman in Cabin 10, and it's by Ruth Ware. And she is an author that's been on my radar to read. And I know, though, that she writes in that spooky, creepy. As far as writing styles, I've not had her compared to Stephen King. But as far as that genre, she's mm-hmm. one of those names that you hear frequently. And I haven't read any of hers yet. So I I'm either, looking actually. forward to that. We'll see if it's a nighttime read or a daytime read. So The Woman from Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware is a journalist who writes for Travel Magazine. And so she's got the assignment of a lifetime. She's going to be on this luxury cruise with just a handful of cabins. And she gets to basically get paid for going on vacation and then writing about it. I mean, that sounds pretty dreamy. But one night she sees this woman thrown overboard and tries to sound the alarm. And yet everybody's accounted for. And there's just this ongoing thing of her trying to figure out what she saw, trying to convince other people that something's wrong, and then just continuing on as if nothing has gone. So I I don't know enough about this book. Is this going on in her head? Is this an actual thing? And there's a conspiracy cover-up sort of thing going on. And so that's our next read. And it'll be my first introduction to Ruth Ware. So I'll be curious to see how Mm -hmm. I feel about her as a writer. 
She's very popular. Yes, she like is. I she's see recommended to me all the time. Loads of her books on our yeah. shelves. One of the reasons I like to read seasonally is because there are just a million books to choose from. And, mm. and actually, that's not an exaggeration. No. So many options. And it's hard for me sometimes to decide what am I going to read next because the options are endless. Uh-huh. So reading seasonally helps me narrow my Absolutely. focus and go, oh, you know what? It's October. Let's read the spooky stuff. Which is not to say I don't read spooky stuff at other times of the year. I absolutely do. But when I'm a little overwhelmed with choices, having that seasonal kind of rhythm helps me go, oh, this seems like a good spring read. This is a good summer vibe, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Or if it's in the dead of winter and I need a good summer vibe, that's also <laughs> oh, yeah. not a bad choice. Do you have a way that you narrow down what I kind mean, of things you I like do to the read? Same, I do the same thing. I read seasonally, but very much rely on recommendations. Like you were talking about earlier, I know I have friends and I that have specific genres that they tend to gravitate towards or know the most about. For me, yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I know a lot about graphic novels, so you know, you can always yes. come to me yes, for that, yes, comics and all that stuff. But I tend to rely on friend recommendations. My to be read list is endless. Yes, so, yes, it will. Um, it will literally never end for me. Yeah. One of the occupational hazards, I feel like, of working at the circulation desk is when books come in that had not hit my radar. And something about the title of the cover makes me go, ooh, and I'm just like, oh, Oh, no, now another one. (laughs) I mean, and I hate to be this person, but also I'm a very visual person. So if I see a beautiful cover, it's at least going to grab my attention and I will typically give it a gander. And even though we're told not to judge a book by its cover, I will say that certain covers, it will give me an instinct about the book, whether fair or not. Yes. That helps me decide or decide against whether that would be a book I would read, which is fair. I know some people that they have their focus genre and that's not a problem for me. Again, I love those people because they are full of information about topics that I'm less knowledgeable about, but I am just so eclectic in my reading. And so sometimes just those narrow little choices of that cover gives me the vibe of something that just probably wouldn't hold my attention. Sure. I got over, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people talk about this nowadays. I've gotten over the need to finish a book if Mm -hmm. it's just not doing it for me. Because with the unending TBR list, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to waste time on a book that I'm not enjoying when I have so many others that I really want to get to. Oh, absolutely. So there have been a couple of books that I finished because I had promised someone or it was a book club read. And then Mm -hmm. I wound up being glad that I did. Right. But for the most part, if I'm enough chapters in and I'm like, you know what, it's just not doing it for me, then I will send that one back. (laughs) Yep, I do the same. And I used to feel so bad about that. And I would not let myself do it. And then I realized that a specific occasion, there were like six other books on my nightstand. And I was like, okay, it's time. Yeah. So Well, Claire, I really appreciate you coming in. We could talk about books all day long. And uh, that is the danger zone of us both working at the same (laughs) branch. But thanks for coming in. Uh, I hope to have you come back again. And maybe we'll just do one all about graphic novels sometime. Thanks for having me. And I would love that. (laughs) Right. Thanks again. TBR is a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe for more great episodes. For comments or questions, our email address is podcast at evpl.org. 